Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is the GC On Demand podcast. My name is Eric Wright. Uh, if you've already caught us in the past, you know where to find us. We're at gcondemand.io. Uh, you can find me online. I'm at Disco Posse. And I'm super happy again today uh, to be able to welcome back James Green, the one and only JD Green. Uh, and James is a really cool guest for a number of reasons. First of all, super, super great technologist, excellent community contributor, uh, previous guest, good friend, uh, many other things. So James, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the, to the crowd here and, and then let's get going. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on again. It's a fun time. And uh, I like the reciprocal podcast guest thing. I also have Eric on, on our podcast from time to time. And it's always fun to chat with you. Um, yeah, I'm James Green. I am uh, at Actual Tech Media. We do uh, events and content for IT professionals. So uh, our goal is basically to bring you the IT practitioner material that makes you better at what you do. So uh, it's a really fun thing that uh, a couple of the co-founders grew out of um, basically a love for sharing what they were learning uh, and the ways that they were growing. And uh, yeah, we turned it into a, a way to make money. So it's a, a super fun gig. And so I'm, I'm responsible for content there. So I uh, create all of our uh, blogs, white papers, books, videos, everything we do that's content related. Um, and so I, ha I have a heavy focus on creation, which is fun. That's, that's been an evolution in my career from uh, more on the, I guess, black and white, like doing side into the more colorful world of, of creativity. Uh, so maybe we can get into that. But yep, you can find me on Twitter at JD Green and uh, check out Actual Tech Media at www.actualtechmedia.com. And uh, our Twitter handle is at Actual Tech Media. And your your foray into being on a vendor side this is pretty cool for folks that are you know listening and and they're in different stages of their career uh i came out of the practitioner space you did as well like we we actually did the thing that we now work for companies talking about how to do better and part of the reason is because i i feel that you made a very a, a very forward move early on in your career to share what you did uh, and let, let's start with why. Why did you decide that you wanted to share your stories and share through blogging and, and through through that kind of a medium? And what was the what was it that drew you to that? And, and what did you see as the value at that time? Yeah, um, two main reasons I decided to do that pretty early on. Uh, one uh, was the encouragement of others to do that. So I was um, pretty heavily consuming material from other people who were doing that. I should name a few. Um, Chris Wall, at the time, I was reading a lot of Wall Network. Um, you know, of course, Duncan Epping, William Lamb. So I'm, I was reading all their stuff. And this is, uh, oh, I don't know, 20, 2011, 2012, maybe. And, um, you know, if you were to ask those guys, what, 
what advice would you give people if they want to grow, learn, excel in their career? They're like, just start blogging. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if only you and your mom read it. Uh, just start. And in fact, I think this applies outside of our space too, into any sort of publishing um, or creation, even, you know, art, music. Uh, Eric, we're both musicians. Same thing applies there. It's like, step one is just to do it and your music will suck, but you have to practice, right? Yeah, so, I, can, I can attest to that. <laughs> I, I've been sucking pretty good at music for a long time. That's, my that's right. They keep telling me I'll get better, but I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but so yeah, that, that goes for uh, writing up what you're learning about and all that kind of stuff too. Uh, I actually made the mistake not that long ago of going and looking up the first article that I posted on my blog ever. And it was like, Oh, um, yeah. It's like reading a, it's like reading that. a poem. You wrote a, you wrote a girl in grade four. You're like, wow, this is not, this is not cool. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, you know, the encouragement of others to do that, um, I guess I just decided to take them at their word and like, Hey, it seems to be working well for you guys. If you say it's worth doing, I'm going to give it a shot. So I gave it a shot. Um, and then the other, did you think at that time that it was like, did you, what was your initial goal? Like, obviously there's the, the side effect is you've gotten, you've been well read and rightly so you're a great content creator. You're a great writer. You, you tell a powerful story, you tell it well, and you really know how to latch on to stuff that matters to a pretty, a very, very broad audience. Uh, but did you, did you start off thinking or did you just think like, I'm going to start to write this stuff down because, you know, what was that thing? Yeah, I was thoroughly convinced that my readers were going to be myself, my mom, and the guy in the cube next to me. Um, I was actively mentoring him. And so I figured, uh, that, in fact, that's, uh, that's the way I came up with a lot of the stuff that I posted early on was he would come to me and ask a question. And in the course of answering him, I would figure he's got the question, probably other people have the question, I'll go ahead and just share my answer with him uh, a little bit more formally here in a blog post. So um, that's probably the first uh, 12 to 18 months of me publishing anything was just collecting uh, answers to questions, which interestingly, I now understand from like a, an SEO standpoint, the visibility standpoint, answering questions is, is highly rewarded. And um, it, it that's is. a great way to go about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, even though you had, as the business folks would say, the total addressable market of three, like yeah, yeah, you, you, you nailed it right out of the gate. Uh, but then you've obviously you've grown since then. It, but it's cool. That I think of your initial problem that you needed to solve was that you got asked stuff repeatedly, and so if I write this down, then I can simply send the URL. A little easier than like having to answer this question long form over and over again, right? <laughs> yep. So then uh, I began to use that platform as a tool when I was a consultant um, because as a consultant, you talk to lots of people and that would happen all the time. I, um, I led a team of vSphere consultants and so I would frequently answer questions for them. Uh, so both internally to them, to sales and pre-sales folks, and to my customers. And so for the ones I was answering all the time, it became so much more efficient for me to answer the question once on the blog. And then anytime somebody asked, I just forward them a link. <laughs> Save me 20 minutes of typing email. You know? 
Did it feel weird the first time you sent someone a link to a URL that had your name in it? <laughs> super, super awkward, yeah. Because it's like, so So here's a parallel example that I'm dealing with right now. I'm um, leveraging an assistant to get some things done, schedule-wise, um, stuff like that. But the first time you send somebody a message that says, hey, talk to my assistant about that, <laughs> it's like, who <laughs> are you? Who are you, you big shot with your talk to my assistant? Um, it's the same thing forwarding somebody a post uh, on a blog that's written by you with a URL that's you. It's like, <laughs> who, who are you to be quoting yourself and, and publishing online? It's, it's a strange feeling, but um, I, I definitely noticed that go away over time, and I expect the same thing will be true with the assistant. What's neat is you, you nailed two important pieces of value i'll say right here right you you wrote something down because you had to refer to it regularly it it also increases credibility when you it's like when it's hanging off the internet there's a little bit more credibility than you just saying like hey i've, I've done this thing and i've done it before you can literally say like here's a thing and, and lots of people have read it so therefore it must be relatively true um so you that was a value add right like you wrote it once it had a 10x return or some x return so immediately right and so here we are, you, you've got a virtual assistant or a real assistant, whatever it's going to be, a part-time person that helps you. And you, you did that for a reason, right? Because there's relatively mundane, repetitive things that you shouldn't, you don't want to deal with because you can do higher value, like second order, third order value stuff. How did you make the choice? Okay, I, I need help. And, and this is a great thing that I can do. And, and now is the time. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough to come to the conclusion that, um, my time is worth enough that I will spend money to make more of it. I think, um, a lot of, you'll, you'll see lots of people saying that, um, few people, uh, execute well on that because it's uncomfortable. And of course, um, not many of us are like, man, I just have too much money. I need to throw some of it somewhere. Right. Like that's, it is, it is. There is a point where you have to say like, I'm, I'm going to spend money that I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm going to get ROI on, but I got to do it to prove that there's ROI. Exactly. You have to believe that that's going to come back another way. And, and so importantly, you probably should at least have some idea of how you're going to make that money back. And then some, uh, you shouldn't just say, well, my time is valuable spend yeah. some money to make some money, you know, you got to have a good plan for that. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, it probably took, um, 18 months of frustration when, um, dealing with stuff like I, literally before we hopped on here, I was lamenting to one of my teammates about we're on an email thread that's got eight or nine people on it. And we're trying to schedule a meeting. And I'm like, I can't believe that in 2018 that we're, you know, we're on number 20 message back and forth that it takes this long to coordinate <laughs> schedules cross organizations, right? Like this just shouldn't be a problem. And when I look now at what we're building at actual tech media and the things that I'm responsible for, um, it's not that hard <laughs> to look at it and go, okay, I could spend by the end of it, literally probably half an hour at least probably more just writing emails back and forth to say, okay, I'm available from nine to 11 tomorrow and one to two the next day. Or I could be, you know, uh, 
documenting processes that I'll then give to our team to do a better job. I'll create new offerings, whatever. Between those two things, it's a pretty easy choice. But um, I think for me, the thing was just getting clarity on where the value is going to come from and why it's worth it. And, and I mean, so just to be clear, this is something that I'm going to be spending my own money on. So ATM is not paying for an assistant for me. I, I could ask for that probably, but um, I'm, I'm going to be spending my own money on that. And so you can believe, I'm sure that uh, I'm going to see value there, right? I wouldn't, if, if I was working for, you know, whatever, IBM, and I was going to ask for the money for an assistant, I probably wouldn't have to be nearly as emotionally attached to the outcome and I wouldn't have to believe in it as much, right? I could just not want to work as hard and make somebody else do the work. Um, and I would feel comfortable asking for that. But, but when it's either I'm going to part with this money that I would be taking home or I'm going to hire an assistant, now I need a lot more clarity and I have to believe in it a lot more. Um, yeah, you're, you have a vested interest very literally like per hour yeah, on right. getting value out of it. So what, how did you prepare to hand over tasks? Like what did you do to make sure that you were ready for uh, a, an assistant to take that stuff on? I read this book here called The Virtual Assistant Assistant by Nick Loper. And uh, he talks about, uh, especially about how to find one. But then, you know, if you find a good assistant, most of them, well, there's, there's two ways it could happen. One, you hire somebody who's got experience, right? And you can tap into their experience and say, okay, here's five things I already know if I could use your help with. But beyond that, also, take a look at my calendar, take a look at my inbox, and give me some recommendations for things that you think you can take care of. The other thing is, if you go through some sort of, um, like a VA service or something like that, most of them have some tools for you. Uh, whether that's a consulting service or a PDF or whatever that gives you some ideas. So um, I think that's really important. If, if anybody decides this is something you want to try, you need to maximize uh, your use of, you know, it depends on how you pay the, the person or the service, but most, of, most ways you can hire an assistant, there's the potential to leave unused hours or money on the table. Yeah. I think to um, to be successful at it, it's pretty important that you try and make sure you use them all. So yeah, and it's the funny thing of there's finding the the work that you know, like have I got consistent tasks so I can put in front of this person that are you know that I can trust them with, and it's kind of funny. I've, I'm a sort of a student of as many many of us are of, of like Tim Ferriss and and other sort of productivity hackers and and lifestyle designers or whatever they call it. But just like to take that subset of it, of it, he talks about using the virtual assistant, right? Exactly. This is tribe of mentors, many, many other things. So you look at this audience, this is why I wanted to draw on you for this, right? Because you've, you're in the process of doing this, which is cool. I love, I don't want to hear about the person that 10 years from now is like Anthony Robbins and like, I've had this, you know, of course I've got a full-time assistant. Well, yes, you make it, you know, $11 million a year. It's, I, I want to talk to the person that's like, just cranking it out so they can actually pay for their assistant. <laughs> right. Exactly. It, it's like a, it's like the early bands. They have, they have roadies that have to get paid first and they're basically like, Hey, you got any extra fries? Like that's how you hear <laughs> the early stories of bands. It's literally how it went. Cause you have to pay the crew. Yep. But there's that leap of faith. You take that, look, I'm doing this for the love of the game and the game is eventually going to pay and you gotta, you gotta be ready for it. So, back to Tim Ferriss, he talks about first thing to do is like 
be careful, you know, your first thing you probably have trouble with is doing billing and invoicing. And so immediately you have to make sure you're going to an agency or person you trust to hand over some semblance of touching your finances. What do you think about, like, was that one of the things that you thought, man, I spent a lot of time doing this, but I don't know that I'm ready to or not to trust somebody on it? What's interesting is there's other things that are sensitive that are, are not necessarily the things that you think of as the sensitive details like my banking information. But as an example, my relationships with my clients are sensitive. I want to handle those very carefully, right? Yeah. To, to ask somebody else to say um, anything to one of my clients, is, that's almost as uncomfortable as giving them access to my bank account, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when you're answering when you're answering advisory merger and acquisition questions to MDEL, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, you're you're handing over proprietary information, and it it is interesting. So, how do you protect for that? Like, how do you make sure that you know you can trust the the agency or the person that you've you've brought on board for this? Yeah, that's something that I would love to be able to interview. Uh, folks that have had an assistant for 20 years on, uh, like, I imagine that the answer is over time, you develop a level of trust with, with somebody that you work with for a long time. I think um, a lot of folks out there, they find an EA that they really like, and they work with them for a decade or two decades. Yeah. Uh, and a big part of that is the trust. I think there's also a part that's just the, uh, you know, getting somebody up to speed and they know how all your stuff works and your preferences and all that. But a big part of it is trust. And um, before you have that, which is the situation I find myself in right now, I think um, the best way to handle that is just to be very specific and provide templates or SOPs or, or whatever, any way you can to outline what needs to be done and how and very specifically and it's not it's not an issue of i don't think you're capable it's just an issue of we're not on the level yet where i i have the trust to just hand over the reins to this thing and and let you go do it however you want here's how i would like it to be done and that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable um even if that's at the expense of some relational capital because it does kind of imply you know if i'm very prescriptive in what i want done it does kind of imply i don't trust you but i think you kind of got to make a transition from there into the highly trusted position over time you know i would imagine that people that work in in on the other side of this you know transaction this relationship right they're they're actually pretty used to this type of thing and they're probably happy that you're saying hey here here's a kind of a way that i like to make sure i approach customers for emails or or like setting up meetings and this is the lead time way like if you give them templates and stuff that's <clears throat> much nicer than somebody who's going to say like, you know, don't, don't touch this doorknobs have to always be turned to the left. Like there's really weird specific things. I'm sure they get told that we like as, as relatively low standing it folks, you know, <laughs> I feel weird giving someone an email template, but you know, they're probably getting a lot more high you know, scrutiny from other folks that, that are in their, their clientele. Right. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people in that situation, they're dealing with entrepreneurs like myself who are overworked, you know, too busy to be prescriptive. And so they fire off a text that says, hey, go do X. The person then goes and does X, but not quite right. 
And then they have to deal with 10 minutes of being berated for doing it wrong when they they were never told how to do it right. So I think you're probably right. I I think that um, erring on the side of being overly prescriptive is probably comfortable until you both have a level of comfort with, uh, you know, how the relationship works. And by the way, this is true for um, employees too. Like you hire for fit, you hire for skills, but at the end of the day, even if they're really good and you know they're great people, to just drop into an organization and do everything, uh, you know, without stepping on toes, without doing something uh, different than the way it's done in this organization is, is pretty much impossible. So uh, I've found anyway to start by giving a lot of basically guardrails. So not being prescriptive like with a VA, that's too much, but, but you know, some guardrails um, lets someone feel comfortable, right? as long as I'm within the guardrails, I'm good. And um, just like the VA following the prescriptive process that the guardrails actually bring freedom. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think that's true of anything, any automation, anything we do, the whole idea is that you set policies and which are effectively bumpers and guardrails. And that's, that gives you complete freedom to trust the outcome because you know that, Hey, these are like the areas that I'm pretty sure we're not going to hit. So now now we're in, what is this? this is funny, we're like twins. I just looked at, you've got San Pellegrino. <laughs> we, uh, welcome, this, this podcast is sponsored by Rode Microphones and San Pellegrino Water. Yeah. You know, one day I'll get a sponsor and, and, and <laughs> it's gonna be the first one to go after. <laughs> it's, it's very, very important that, that trust comes from setting, you know, a certain amount of rules, giving a certain amount of freedom, uh, you know, you just, it's not nothing but like nerfs and helmets. Like you can't just pad your VA or anybody that's an employee or a staffer or a friend you're bringing to do work with you. You can't just say like, okay, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. You're going to do it just like I said, and you're not going to do anything outside of that. No, no. Like I've got a couple of ideas. I'm going to give you, a, just run with this and stop and ask of questions if you need it. Right. Yeah, I think, um, so you mentioned Tim Ferriss earlier in the four-hour work week, he talks about VAs. And uh, one of the things he mentioned that I thought of while you were talking was set a uh, kind of milestone or check-in point early so that you can catch, uh, you know, something that's coming off the rails before they've run up a $200 bill for that task. So you yeah. say, you know, spend spend two hours on this and then show me what you've got. And that gives you a good way to check in too. I'm finding um, it's helpful for me to implement that internally too, to say, here's where we're going. Here's what I want to be done. Give it a start and check back in with me at 10% and let's just see how it's going. And, and that gives me an opportunity to help people avoid rework. It could be that I did not uh, delegate well. I wasn't clear what I wanted. I wasn't clear about the objectives. Uh, we were both busy, so they misunderstood me. It could be any number of reasons why it's not going how I envisioned, but checking in at 10% instead of at 95% keeps us from having to do the project twice. Um, and I think and that applies. If run, if, you let it, if you let it run for like four days and then they come back to you something, you're like, wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, and, no, this is, no one's getting positive enforcement from <laughs> that, the way you deal with that, right? Yeah, and I, that applies to technology projects too, right? So if if um it's more organizational transformational kind of thing i mean you probably don't really get into this if it's hey go 
upgrade the firmware on all those boxes. That's it, this doesn't apply there. But if if you're trying to do something fairly transformational, I think the same principle could apply there. If you check in early on and make sure, okay, is this doing what we want? Is the are we starting to see any of the changes we had hoped for? Are we moving in the right direction? It's easier to correct course when you've only moved 10 steps forward than after you've walked 100. Yeah. And I would posit that you actually, even rolling out firmware has the potential to really highlight opportunities. Like everything, even in that like sort of like mundane, repetitive work, there's chances for it to be made faster, better, smoother. And you'll find that a virtual assistant or, or somebody, again, that they're in the business of doing that thing regularly a good one, a good person is not going to say like, oh, they've asked me to do the same thing and I do it 11 times a week. Like I could probably do this through like a service or like use a, an email template or a mail merge. They're going to look for opportunities because they're in the business of making you, you know, your experience better. Uh, so, and even, you know, if I hand somebody and say like, here, there's 480 servers, here's a firmware you know, ISO, have at it. Uh, and I don't just say like, you've got three months to do it. Like say like, what's your plan? How do you think you're going to approach this? Which are the ones you want to tackle? Like you really want to get a measure of how they would approach it and then revisit regularly. Or you do the old school waterfall approach like we used to do 20 years ago, which is like, okay, so you've got four months to do this. Good luck, you know? <laughs> and then four months, three and a half months in, you're like, is he on track? Like, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, I had a couple of occurrences of this uh, recently, and uh, my business partner, Scott Lowe, just told me a story about, um, I think it was a website project that he was running where um, he basically said, you know, here's what we're doing, and he brought in a contractor to do it, and you've got three months, go do it. And he checked in with the guy weekly or monthly or whatever it was, every so often throughout the project. Yep, we're good. Yep, everything's on track. Everything's on track. And then it comes to the day where the project is due. And he's like, all right, so let's see it. And the guy's like, ah, I haven't started. I didn't know how to tell you that I didn't know what to do. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. Uh, this would have been better to know about at 10%, right? Yeah. So the yeah. same, same thing still applies. Spot checking early on could have corrected that. And, you know, I, I have learned that lesson in my own life a couple of times recently. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. That's, that's a hard, hard lesson. It's, it's a hard lesson to learn. Here's an interesting um, counterpoint and counter example, though. There are certain things as you learn what it is that you're good at, that there's no way, no matter how standardized and templatized and procedurized you make it, there's no way you can hand that off to somebody else. Yeah. And so these two conversations dovetail when you figure, so what you have to do then is take all the things that can be and delegate those to make room for those select few that you've got to do. Right. So it's been really important for me, just as, a, as an example, to delegate some of the things like setting meetings, like um, checking in on project status and some of those kind of things that are relatively easy to prescribe the process for so that I can do things like, um, you know, sit down and read five guerrilla guides back to back and think about what could we do better to make this book more engaging for readers, to make it go um, further in helping our clients reach the right people 
in making it more visually interesting, you know, that's the kind of task I can't just say, hey, VA, take this, figure out how to make it better. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure they'd have some ideas, but as the person who's responsible for making that happen in our business, that really needs to be me. So I need to find ways to get rid of low value tasks like calendaring so I can think about how to make a gorilla guide better. Yeah. And it's funny. We always get caught in this thing and I love you. You say it well, you understand the phrasing is weird, right? When we talk about high value, low value, it's uh, some people say like, oh, so it's a task that's worthless. You're like, no, no, it's, it's low value and that it doesn't produce like more than one times the value on the other side. Like it's a thing that needs to get done. However, the ratio of output is one. Right. <laughs> it's so low put, leverage. You put one hour in, in fact, even worse, you may spend four hours digging through emails, calendars, and et cetera, only then to uh, achieve a five minute task of getting four people to be in the room at the same time two weeks from now. So at, at a business level, this even applies to products and services that you offer, right? We're looking through all the things we do right now going, given the amount of time we spend on this and the margins we've got on this product, is it even worth it? Right. Or this one, you know, is there a way that we could do this differently to make it even more worth it? Um, because all the same things that apply to, whether I'm spending my time on calendar calendaring or thinking about gorilla guides apply to um, do, do we do a gorilla guide at all or do we do something different? The answer right. is yes, by the way, gorilla guides are yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> Everybody should do a gorilla guide. But the, the, what comes with learning and time is measuring. And it's like, that's it. It's like, you know, test, uh, measure and then and then repeat the process and then you adjust along the way it's and some stuff is just you know there's it's neat that I'm studying a lot more on like algorithmic approaches to things and seeing the way that stuff works in life and as a sort of a student of behavioral psychology at least as a reader I don't actually have a degree in it but <laughs> a long long time listener to behavioral psychology uh, thoughts you can tell that certain things like, Hey, I'm going to see the same repetitive behaviors. Like, ah, okay. So I know if I apply a different method or a heuristic to that, that I'm going to, I can measure the outcome. And some stuff is literally just, I can't get eight people into a decision about when to do things. So one, here's a tip that I've learned super cool for scheduling for me, because I do some of my own scheduling for like one-on-one -on -one things. And, this is a great example. You know, we went and I could have said, James, when are you, when are you available over the next two weeks? And you'd say, Hmm, uh, baby do any minute. So, uh, probably can't say for sure in the second week. Um, but tomorrow's loaded, maybe Friday. Don't know. Like there's a lot of, you've got to sit there and work backwards versus me going, uh, so it's nine o'clock tomorrow, 11 o'clock Thursday, or we defer and we wait three months you immediately are like, okay, A, B, or C. It's If I come to you with fixed options, then it's tough. And I've actually been booking stuff now with a three-hour session, which is super fun. Imagine a podcast is three hours. I'm doing this super long-form like discovery interviews with people uh, about founder stories. And so I say, like, it's going to take three hours. It's a one three-hour block, right? So this is tough. And here's your options. Monday, Tuesday, or two weeks from now. And invariably, they're just like, okay, 
like they pick. No one says, hmm, how about three weeks Thursday afternoon? Would that work for you? No, it's here's your choices, you know, do or die. Yep. So uh, I have two more examples of that principle working because um, I've found the exact same thing. One is I have learned uh, as I oversee lots of content projects at Actual Tech Media to not say, um, here's a piece of content, Mr. Client. Now, uh, please send me some feedback. What I need to say is, here's your piece of content. Please send me your feedback by Thursday. <laughs> because, right. if I, because if I don't do that, it'll be two weeks from now. And all the people we work with are busy, right? Everybody's busy. We work with a lot of, lot of startups and everybody's burning the candle at both ends and they got more things on their plate than two people could handle. And so if I don't say, here's when we need this by, it's going to get pushed for all the things that somebody did say when they need it by. So I've started saying, you know, totally reasonable timelines, but just any time, like it, it doesn't matter how long the time is, but just put a time on it and that will get it into people's minds in the right place. So, um, Another way that we've found is with packaging our offerings. So we have some services that basically can be bundled in a, in a number of different ways. And when we give people this giant services menu and basically say, here's a bunch of options all available to you, which ones would you like? We can spend weeks going back and forth trying to figure it out and fine tune just how to build that bundle. And it takes forever. If we say bundle one, bundle two, bundle three, and here's what each one includes, which one would you like? Yeah. It makes it so much easier for them. And in the end, the results are probably close to the same. You know, you might be able to eke out just a little bit more performance by tweaking the package just to be very unique to you. But in the end, it's the 80-20 principle, right? Let's move today, get it done, and you'll see at least 80% of the results. Yeah. Um, so we, we, uh, I, I'm trying to implement this principle actually anywhere that I can right now. Where can I remove ambiguity so that we can just make a decision? Um, it, I was just, just listening to somebody and he was calling it throw a dart. You just got to throw the, throw the dart. It yeah. might not hit the bullseye, but it's not doing you any good in your hand. Throw the dart. Yeah. It's the, it's the thing of, you know, when you time box something, it, it gives you a thing. The other one is the reverse of it. Someone comes to you and they say, all right, James, I need this done ASAP. And how do you respond to that? I'll have it done by next summer. Right. <laughs> right. And that's, that's the precisely the thing you do is you immediately say like, I, someone comes to me and they say like, we need this, you know, when can I get this done? I'm like, your instinct is make this a satisfactory, make this client, this person happy. So I'm yeah. going to say, I'll try and get it this afternoon. It's probably going to be tomorrow though. I'm pretty heavily backlogged. Like there's no way you should be taking this task on right now. So then what you should do, what I found is like, is next Thursday. Okay. And usually the first answer is like, great. Like no one goes, Oh boy, I really, I really kind of want it this afternoon or by tomorrow morning. If that, if that does happen, 100%, like you, you do, you move stuff out of the way where you can, but you have to say, when you say ASAP, I'm like, that's P, that's possible. It's not as soon as in an hour or two. It's, it's called ASAP for a reason. <laughs> it's interesting, though, how high performers like you and me and a lot of your audience tend to put even more pressure on ourselves than the person standing next to our desk is. So if, they, if, 
if when they said ASAP, like you said, they were thinking two weeks, you're going to be like, man, I could probably get it done by tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> because I feel like that's just our nature. And we're like, that's probably as, as soon as I could do it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get better at that too. I, I will suggest what is actually reasonable as often as I can now. And same as you, I rarely encounter resistance there. Now, yeah, they, I, I've heard the term is say yes more slowly. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, you definitely don't want to say no, can't be done. You never want to throw up there because it just, it creates a negative vibe. And then they're going to be more aggressive in chasing a tighter deadline versus if you say like, is next week, next Friday, or like, is a, you know, like we're pretty loaded. I can definitely get this to you in three weeks. Is that okay? <laughs> Something I still wonder though, um, I don't really have a good way to know is if I say, how's next Thursday? And they say, yeah, sure. I still don't really know if they liked that answer or if they're just, you know, being, <laughs> being cordial. Like I, I, even, even though I'm doing that and it's working, I still wonder when they walk away from their keyboard, are they mad? Yeah. The, and that's the, the, the lack, like the, the tight, you know, interactions, can it's tough to get nuance even when someone answers something and it's like you know this needed to get done and it was a tough task to do and you just say like hey you know i pulled i pulled rabbits out of hats to get this done but it was late you know relative to what they wanted and they reply back and say thanks you know no right. period no exclamation right. mark, no nothing you would read it as thanks Exactly. And they're probably like, thanks. <laughs> you know, who yeah. knows? There's so much nuance to try and read into that. So voice is one better. Yeah. But I've been finding recently, even that's not sufficient. If if I can sway them at all, I'm trying to get on a video call now because there's just there's so much missing there. And I didn't I really did not fully appreciate that until probably in the last six months, just how much leverage you have in in having a healthy relationship in, in having a productive conversation when you can look each other in the face even if it's virtually um I, it seems to me in at least in in a lot of the clients that we work with um the default is still generally like a, a webex voice conference kind of thing yeah um I, I have started internally at Actual Tech Media and with as many client calls as I can, I just join the meeting with my camera on. And if nobody else does it, fine. But I find that more often than not, that kind of guilts other people into doing it. Right. And everybody winds up happy we did. So that's, if anybody's wondering about that, that's something um, that I've found actually gets some leverage there. Don't ask. Don't talk about it beforehand. Like, hey, can we make this a video call? Just join with the camera on. And um, every once in a while, I go through a meeting where I'm literally the only one with the camera on and everybody else oh, is just sitting there watching photos me. Photos of them, like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but more often than not, at least somebody or a couple people will pop theirs on too. And I find it's just, yeah, it's more productive. It's more, um, it's more likely that we'll feel united and on on the same team to try and accomplish whatever we're going after then you know it's so easy especially via email to to wind up feeling adversarial right whether that's true or not um yeah or not as connected even like it's just that it there's some there's a there's a psychological like there's a like a 
true physiological thing of being present and having visible like you know i'm i see what you're doing i can see your behaviors i can see your reactions and yep. it changes the way because otherwise especially when i record these and you you do podcasting as well we we know when someone's kind of like hanging on and i've i did this one like i said i'm doing this 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 really cool long form series that's going to get actually going to get like transcribed into written book and it's so cool because i'm i was with this one fellow and he's talking through the stuff and it would he just like trails off and so the instinct when you're on voice only is like oh great okay cool so let me ask you the next question right you you want to fill space you want to fill air there's no dead mm -hmm. air allowed right but instead i see him and he's like like just looking in the air and i was like and i'm like oh this is it like this is if you ever see the movie icarus i'm like this is the moment the movie turns like and it did i went from this idea of like i'm just gonna ask a few random questions and it'll be neat to be like a big podcast i'm in my second one right now and i'm like i have discovered something i i'm on a different project right now this is so cool <laughs> but the visual connection to it made it possible to really the, really really good interviewers uh and there's somebody in particular i wish i could remember who and i would quote them but he says to let the silence do the work and it's interesting like you said if you can't watch them you would think he was done talking and you'd cut him off right before he got to the best part and since you can see him you can go oh here it comes because the, there's this like um you get into this place where you're talking and you're talking, and you kind of get to the end of all the easy stuff. And if you let somebody sit there at the end for long enough, they'll kind of like graduate into the next level. Yeah. Deeper thought, more insightful thought, but you gotta, you gotta suffer through the uncomfortable part of that, you know, could be five, 10, 15 seconds of silence. And it's weird. It but, feels like a lifetime when it's yeah. going on. <laughs> but, but if you can sit there, it's like, you're rarely disappointed by what comes out once they figure out what they're trying to say. I had a, I had a colleague that I worked with and, and like a couple of colleagues and, and it was funny. We do team meetings and it was exhausting because they refused to allow any dead air, like no matter what it was. So you'd be on these like one hour long conference calls and it was like being in the writer's room for the Gilmore girls. It was just like, like you, there was never a pause and it was, rapid fire conversation and then they would talk across each other to complete each other's thoughts and it was really neat like it but at the same time like it's it's tough to always be in that i like i like driving when there's like nothing like that's my my favorite thing is all of a sudden you're just like you're looking at the window I'm seeing scenery go by, like, hey, look, a deer. <laughs> I don't need to be sitting there like a, a NASCAR, like, take a look at that. There are 14 trees coming to the left side. You know, like, you don't need to be doing this constant voice track of it. So I got a question for you. When you do that, I, I have the same experience, and I love it, and I have the best ideas out there, except I'm on the road doing 75, and I can't write them down anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it drives me nuts. Do you take like voice memos or how do you, do you, do you have this experience? Yeah, hundred percent because uh, like certainly texting yourself while driving. I've done a couple, I've sent myself like voice texts. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, I usually do like, I do the re voice recording. And so I've, I, the only reason I have Siri on my phone, because I despise it for anything else is, is just so I can say Siri open voice recorder 
you know, or Siri text Eric Wright. And I text myself these bizarre messages because you're talking to Siri and, and I'm Canadian, so I sound strange. And apparently it's not Siri friendly. Siri can't get US English right, so don't, it's not you. <laughs> so I end up with these really weird text messages that I send to myself or I'll write, they all open Evernote and yeah, just like transcribe, voice transcribe, 100%. Yeah, but I, those are the moments where you're like, I've got this idea, and all of a sudden, you're like, your eyes just go wide. You're like, that's it. This is this is the thing. And that's how I came up with this idea for this long form, you know, series. It was like, I think I know what I need to do. I'm like, I've got all these friends who are founders of companies. I'm like, why am I reading books by professional people? I'm like, I'm surrounded by people who've had this experience directly, and they've got amazing stories. You know, that's what podcasting is about. That's what, that's what this experience is about. It's like being able to have a conversation that everyone can sit in on. That's why I started podcasting, it's, which is, it's been fun. It's been a blast. Sounds like a very exciting project. Well, and even what I found is that the short form stuff, it was tough to schedule. And I totally like I, that whole thing of like, you've got to be consistent. Make sure you go every week. It's at the same time. Like, yeah, I blew that, blew that out of the water. I went for like three months with no podcast, you know, and then as soon as you're done back, that. Yeah, but as soon as you're back, then people are like, oh, cool. You know, it's like if you stop blogging, people miss it momentarily. But then in the end, like, what are they, are they going to be like, sorry, Eric, you stopped blogging last year for three months, so I'm never going to read you again. Right. Unsubscribe. <laughs> Unsubscribe from life is what people should so, do. So I, I want to go back to this idea of space because the more I've become responsible for creating things and um, both like from a, from a writing standpoint and from a entrepreneurial standpoint, I find that the, the antithesis of good ideas and creativity is clutter and stress and distraction. Like it, it's almost invariable. I, I, I would bet on it that I can't have a good idea that I'll be proud of later. If I'm buried under email, my calendar's packed from, 7:30 to 5:30, you know, I'm answering questions in Slack all day long. Um just won't happen. And I'm finding that it's so this goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier of of freeing yourself up to do things like I'm having to take whole big chunks of my calendar, block them off. Oh, I have a great tip that I'm I'm loving to share this right now cuz it's like revolutionizing my workflow and anybody who uses uh Mac OS will love this. If you don't, sorry, you're out of luck. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so I never, I don't know why I never thought of this before, but um, I created a second user account that's for creating stuff. Ooh. No oh. messaging, no calendar, no email. I've got Word, Scrivener, you know, my writing tools and a web browser and that's it. So no notifications, no any way to talk to anybody else. And if I get desperate, you know, I'm trying to grab something out of an email that somebody sent me that was a good idea and go log into Outlook online or something. But, you know, there's, there's nothing in that user session to distract me. And um, on the new MacBook Pros with the touch bar that have touch ID, you can set it up so that you, when you click that button, the touch ID button, the fingerprint that it's registered to, it flips to that user session. Nice. So let's, so let's say my wife walks up to the computer and presses her finger on the touch ID, it'll switch to her session. So what I've done is I have my pointer finger registered to my regular working session. I push it and there's all my normal stuff. 
And when it's time for me to go into creation mode, I have it registered to my middle finger and I click how, the how, how apropos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bye, everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm giving so, productivity the middle finger right now. <laughs> so I touch the touch ID button with my middle finger. It, it spins the desktop cube into my creating uh, user session and I'm in a different world. And it has been transformational because I've, I've tried um, willpower. That was hopeless. I've tried um, apps. I, there's this great app called uh, Focus that I like. There's Freedom, a couple other pretty good ones. Um, and they'll basically like kill your distracting apps and filter your web browsing to try and help. Yeah. That's all great um, if you're not a nerd like we are and I can just break it, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's right. kill the service, uh, you know, reboot, whatever, and it, and it breaks it. So if I want out, it's easy enough to get out. Um, this thing, though, has really done it for me. So anyway, there's a tip. I'm sure you could do it on, on Windows or any other OS. Create, create yourself a second user account and set that one up just for productivity. No distractions. Yeah, there's definitely, there's, again, there's science and psychology behind it of you know, a lot of stuff in there. A great book that people I always recommend to them is Cal Newport. It's called Deep Work. Uh, and it's on that very subject. It's a super good tome. I've had a lot of people that will read it and they'll come back and they're like, I think I'm going to delete my social media accounts. I'm like, hey, <laughs> all right, kid, let's just slow your Settle roll. down. <laughs> yeah, like I, it's the same reason why this is the thing that I remind people all the time. You don't lose... It takes you 20 years to gain 50 pounds. Don't imagine that in four days, you're going to lose 30 of them. Right. It's the same with productivity. It's the same with like, if I want to become fit, I have very low body fat. Why? Not because I'm going to take a juicing cleanse today and then eat like a crazed fool every other day, because every day I'm going to make a conscious effort to tighten my meal schedule or do something. And then once in a while, you can let it slide, right? I can right. bust open social media and I can use it heavily for four hours just for funsies. But I've got to know that that cannot be done at the same time as the other things and expect both to be successful. And, and the productivity thing is, is profound in, in what you did, right? It's like, so you know when you need to do this thing, shut out the world, right? Give, give the middle finger to the MacBook and life is good, right? <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah. I, that should be the name of your how to give the middle finger to distraction, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that blog post. I'm giving the MacBook the middle finger. There you go. Uh, and it's the greatest thing so I've ever done. The, the disappointing thing about deep work is it's, it's uh, a, another angle on the 10,000 hours principle, right? Basically, you just have to work at it and then you'll be good. And it's disappointing because we all want to believe that there's some shortcut. And at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is, if you want to be a fantastic, let's call it writer and marketer in my case, the only way to do that is to spend a bunch of time practicing. Amen. Without, without distractions, with a uh, uh, sole focus on doing better at that. It's the only way. There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut to weight loss that won't kill you. There's no shortcut to anything that is meaningful that you want to achieve in life, really. You just have to work at it. Even, you know, I, so I have lots of entrepreneur friends, uh, as do you. Um, none of them, even, even if they are in control of their lives, if they're financially uh, independent, if they're, um, you know, totally have created this life for themselves that they wanted and it looks easy, none of them will tell you it was. They yeah. all worked hard for that. What I love about his, and a lot of people that don't like 
Tony Robbins or, or Tim Ferriss or Ray Dalio is another one. People are like, I don't like their arrogance. I'm like, well, there's, there, it is it because they've learned the, to be extra confident on things. But also the reason, if you go back to the Ted talk that Tim Ferriss gave, it wasn't about how to like, you know, why you're all wrong and why the four hour work because the only way to live. He talked about how he almost committed suicide numerous times because of how terrible he was like he was fighting depression, fighting all these things, right? You look at Tony Robbins, divorced, nearly bankrupt, like lost a lot of money a couple of times. You know, you look at great financial stories. We all, we see, we look for the hero story, but the hero, you don't just suddenly show up and like, all right, I'm a hero, you know, trained from birth. Like, you know, no, it's, it's a learned behavior. It's a, there's, there's, and there's hard yards you've got to do to get there. Yeah, the finance one is another perfect example. You look at uh, Ray Dalio or uh, Warren Buffett. Like, it's not like he got rich overnight because he's a super genius. He's been a talented investor for decades. And that's all there is to it. And, and that's the same advice he'll give you. He's like, if you want to get rich, start investing now and wait. And yeah. it'll work. That's it. Pick, pick good investments and wait. With everything, I think the greatest quote that I, uh, you know, it's a, it's a Chinese proverb, potentially Confucius. I've still never found the original, you know, uh, attribution to it, but it was the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. Right. Right. And right. we've, we had this thing. So you, you shouldn't give up because you believe it was too late because in 20 years, it won't be too late from the thing you started now. And, and those right. are, those are things, those are behavioral things that, Oh boy, we could, this is going to be, you're going on my, my long <laughs> podcast, by the way, this is another, catching another thing. Uh, Tony Robbins says about that is when would now be a good time to do that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. so uh, another thing about the, the people that um, speak confidently about counterintuitive ideas that people don't like, you listed Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins and some of those kind of people. I think another one of the tactics they're using is you kind of have to be um, shocked to a certain extent to open yourself up to ideas that are that confrontational to your currently held beliefs. So um, an example that I just thought of is if you've ever watched Tony in one of his seminars, he swears a lot. (laughs) If you're not a person that does that, it's kind of weird. Um, and if you watch him in other settings, he doesn't do that. Like, you know, I guess see Tony Robbins on, on CNN with a potty mouth. But in his seminars, he swears a bunch. And somebody asked him once, like, why do you do that? And he said, it's, it shocks your brain into snapping out of this, like, you know, tightly held belief system that you're in and just long enough to be open to what I'm saying to you. Yeah. It, it, that assault on normalcy for you when I drop the F-bomb as I'm talking to you loudly and you're not used to that, it, it cracks your you know, cemented reality for a second so that I can break through to you. So I think sometimes when people like Tim Ferriss, uh, they get called arrogant, but I think actually he's just like confronting your reality so directly that you actually question it instead of just writing him off as crazy. Yep. And it's, uh, so I, it's a hard thing. My favorite, Peter Thiel has the, the famous question that, that he asks, it says, you know, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? And that's mm-hmm. the, his, his, he asked every startup founder that he talks to or interviewer, you know, when he's, when he's bringing somebody in and it's, those are the kind of things where you have to like, 
you can't just whip one off. <laughs> You've got right. to really dig in. Right. And Ray Dalio is a great one. Like he wrote this book of principles. And the reason why I hold it so strongly because it, it maps to a lot of things I've discovered over time. And I had somebody to say like, you know, I, I've heard that he's really arrogant and difficult to deal with. And like, no, it's, it's maybe true because psychologically you find it challenging to be questioned. But like you said, this is the reason people will swear before they say something or the reason why Jordan Peterson is another one super, some would say like controversial figure. He's like, no, he's, when he asks you a question that you maybe don't like the answer to, it's because he's making you like sort of the Socratic discussion of like going to this next level. And it's a, it's a hard one to do, but it's, I think we need to do it with a lot more things. I've got another one. You and me get going on books. We'll never stop. We got to wind this down, but <laughs> this book is called stealing fire. Um, it's, it's about the idea you just described, which is, um, basically people taking these ideas that we hold sacred and the establishment will crush you for even suggesting that there's something different uh, and, and questioning them. So an example in uh, modern times is the use of um, psychedelics for expanding your mind and uh, ha having a different perspective on life that's only recently become something that we're even open to doing research on. Um, and it's showing a lot of really interesting, promising results in um, highly controlled clinical studies that are believable, but because that's so counter to where we've been at and what most of us believe, the people that are, are beating that drum are most people even still, we think they're crazies and they're, you know, pushed out to the edge. Yeah, that's right. They figured that just, we'll see what Coachella, like, like that's, <laughs> that's where you belong. Like, no, these are serious thinkers. There's a lot of, there's definitely, and again, it's taking the science and removing the emotion. Uh, like there's obviously there's emotion in it. There's always emotion in it. Like there's a reason why when you write a blog, I don't just say, click here, do this thing. This is what you do. It, this is the, this is the outcome. Like, no, you say, so you've got this problem. And you've, you, you're having problems because you got 200 machines you got to configure the server name for, right? So how do you do this, right? You create this journey that someone's going to read through, hopefully, you know, and then, you know, so that's the same thing as exploring everything. There's, so people don't like the, the sort of factual scientific nature. And I always say, like, everybody believes in science until they disagree with it. And then they call it as, like, you know, theory. You're like, actually, everything's theory it's just that's well-proven theory like it's yeah. <laughs> well that's the the example i was just giving is a perfect case like there's really really solid studies showing that microdoses of, of psychedelics do great things by yeah. reputable scientists and people look at that and go that can't be true because it's not yeah exactly they just they <laughs> they profoundly disagree with yeah. the, what what it should they have a personal disbelief for it and separating yourself from your personal beliefs from what you know is the what's the 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 outcome that's measurable yeah it's pretty wild it's pretty wild definitely as i say this as i take a sip from my second uh you know measured dose of of caffeine for the day like, that's that's <laughs> yep. my that's my advice my favorite my drugs yeah, yeah, and the other, another good book for folks that really want to dig back is Dr. Stanislav Grof wrote a book called The Holotropic Mind about early use of, of LSD, 
scientific testing with LSD, uh, and it was done for people with epilepsy and and with um, with like doing recovery of of lost memories. He was a, a Jungian philosopher, you know, and scientist. So, so there's. It's certainly not new, but every once in a while, you know, the moment you dislike something, you just say like, hey, that's crazy. Well, guess what? Bayer used to produce this thing called heroin. So guess what? It, just because it comes from the big machine doesn't make it right either. So, yep. and yep. what is it? We tested, hey, super bad thing. And then we're on the other side of it. So same thing. Thank you for sharing this. I know we got to close up because I got to get you back to being productive. Uh, thank you for spending this time with me, James, and with all the folks listening. How do they find you? And uh, we're going to we're gonna touch on some of these things even deeper again in future. Uh, we're going to talk about the startup, the jump to the startup world down the road, because that's a, that's a big thing. People being becoming an entrepreneur, whether it's off the side of the desk or taking a leap of faith, you've got a pretty cool story. I want to share that with folks, uh, but we'll have to catch that on the second time around. So where do we find you online? Well, thank you. It's been a whole lot of fun and I look forward to next time already. Um, best place is probably Twitter, at JD Green on Twitter. Um, my DMs are open. Let's chat. You're a, you're a brave man. You're, I'm actually <laughs> the same way. So definitely. So folks who want to catch me, I'm at Disco Pasta. You can find me online. Look at that. I'm going to point at the camera because you, you, you can come and find me. This is super fun. I very much appreciate it, James. Uh, big shout out to the team at Actual Tech Media. Uh, your team is great. Uh, I've been lucky enough to know, know everybody worked with you folks in the past. Looking forward to more stuff in the future. Uh, and if anybody's at a show coming up, definitely make sure you, you look for the actual tech folks on the ground there. Uh, it, it's, it's well worth your time. Spend some time. And thanks for sharing this, uh, this hour with me today. Thanks, Eric. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. So go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? Tweet us at GC On Demand. Thanks for listening.